Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. This is the good news of great joy that the world had been waiting for and didn't even know it. This is the truth that changes everything. The Son of God came into the world. He willingly laid down his life on the cross, paying for your sins and mine. And then, on the third day, he took back his life. Now, we've got to remember, Jesus actually calls his shot here. In John chapter 10, Jesus was teaching about how he's the good shepherd. And he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But then he also goes on to say, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Uh, Luke's gospel tells us in in, uh, chapter 9 how after Jesus had been asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? And they got all of those different answers. You know, you are John the Baptist, you're Elijah. And finally, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it. Well, kind of, sort of. He confesses the right thing. He just doesn't know what he's saying yet. <laughs> and he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus then goes on to tell him what it means that he is the Christ. And he, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And on the third day be raised. Now, it would have been entirely possible for almost anybody to accomplish the first parts of the words of Jesus there. It would have been possible for just about anybody to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. All of that was entirely possible for, well, pretty much anybody. But then he adds, and on the third day be raised. That just doesn't happen. Anybody can say, I'll die and come back to life, but actually accomplishing that, well, only Jesus was able to do that. Earlier this week, uh, author Philip Pullman, who wrote really, he's an author, he writes all kind of historical fiction, and he wrote a bizarre historical fiction about Jesus. Just bizarre. Uh, But he he sent a tweet that he intended to be really, really sharp. It's supposed to really make him look good, and oh boy, we got you Christians here. Uh, But I want you to listen to it, and just to see how many problems you can find with the premises of his tweet. He said, if Jesus had been a Roman citizen, like Paul, he would have been beheaded and not crucified. How would the church have managed without 2,000 years of cross-based iconography? Never mind, a much greater difficulty with the resurrection. All right, I got some problems here. First of all, It's not just happenstance that Jesus was not a Roman citizen. The whole thing was laid out by God. There was a plan in place from the start. We can see this all the way through the Old Testament, all the way in the Gospels as well. We have in Luke chapter 3, the uh, genealogy of Jesus. And you can trace it, and you can follow it, and you can see how God preserved this line so that Jesus would be born 
from the tribe of Judah, born to this specific line, and born at just the right time and just the right place. I mean, we can think back to to Christmas, Luke chapter 2, and why were Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem? Well, because there was a Roman census being taken, and the Romans thought, well, see? See what we're doing? We're getting our tax money. And God was like, see? See what you're doing? You're getting Mary and Joseph in just the right place so Jesus can be born in Bethlehem and the prophecy of Micah can be fulfilled. The second error in his thinking is that the crucifixion was just one of many different ways Jesus could have died. Pullman seems to think it was just happenstance that Jesus was crucified. But again, Jesus called a shot. (laughs) He spoke in John chapter 3 of how Like the serpent was raised up on the pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And in John chapter 12, Jesus again calls his shot. He says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The prophets foretold of it. Jesus spoke of it. It wasn't an accident. The cross was the chosen instrument of God precisely because it was an instrument of pain and shame. Jesus was enduring the pain and the shame of all people by this very instrument of pain and shame called the cross so that he could put an end to pain and shame. The cross became a symbol of Christianity Not because the cross is inherently comforting. I mean, the Romans used it as a symbol of intimidation. You see this cross? You cross us. We'll put you on one of these. And the Christians got to the point now, because Jesus was crucified and rose again, that they said, okay, whatever. If that's the worst you can do to us, you can do that. We'll rise again. That brings us to the third problem I had with the tweet. Now, there's more where we could add to this here, but is it really more difficult to be raised from the dead if you die by crucifixion than by beheading? I mean, I don't, like, once you die, I don't really care how you've died. You're not getting better, <laughs> All right? It's not like, oh, this person, this person died uh, in, in a car accident, this person, well, well they, their, their heart just stopped. They've been dead for three days, but they might get better. Uh, no, no, that's not how this happens, right? You don't just get better from death. Unless God raises you from death. So it didn't matter if it was beheading a crucifixion. It's not like, well, some people get better after they've been crucified and they are able to just kind of climb out of the tomb and they're fine. Uh, No. Jesus had been flogged. Now, flogging is is being whipped, but it's being whipped with uh, whips that have bits of metal or glass or stone at the end, and it's just designed to shred your flesh. He had been flogged. He'd been beaten with fists. He'd been beaten with clubs. He had been forced to carry his cross. He had been nailed to the cross and crucified to death. And then, just to make sure, 
All right, we don't, we're not going to take any chances. A soldier puts a spear through his side into his heart just to make sure he really is dead. I don't think he's getting better from that apart from the power of God. And this is why it was so difficult for the disciples to believe it. Right? In our gospel reading, the women go to the tomb. The disciples had been there when Jesus had said that he was going to die and on the third day be raised. But they don't go to the tomb. The women go to the tomb, and the women go to the tomb not in order to see, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Why are they going to the tomb? They have the burial spices. They're just going to try to give some dignity to their friend who has died. But they get there, and well, the tomb's wide open, and they go in, and the body's not there, and they don't know what to make of all of this. And two men appear to them, angels, and what do the angels say? Why do you look for the living among the dead? <laughs> He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you this was going to happen? Do you remember that? He had told them that this was going to happen. But after what they had witnessed, resurrection was the furthest thing from their minds. Jesus had been flogged. He had been beaten. He had been crucified to death. And they did not expect resurrection. Nobody comes back from the dead. But even if they, even if we, we supposed maybe he was just kind of weak, like, no, not after being crucified and had a, having a spear thrust in his side. It was possible for Jesus, because Jesus is the author of life. Because Jesus is God in human flesh. It was possible for Jesus because Jesus has power over all things, even death itself. Now, notice what the angels called him. The living, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? The women hurry back and they tell the disciples what they've heard and seen. Kind of reminds me of the, the shepherds at Christmas, right? The shepherds have the, the angel appear and tell them, uh, you know, go into Bethlehem, the, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, and then they see the, the angel army singing glory to God, and they go in and they see Jesus, and what happens after that? They tell everybody what they've heard and seen. Well, here the women come, and they're telling the disciples what they've heard and seen, and the disciples meet them with disbelief. <laughs> they doubt. They disbelieve. You know, Thomas gets stuck with that nickname, Doubting Thomas. They all doubted. They all disbelieved. None of them said, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Jesus did say that. And um, so we're convinced now. This reminds me of the call of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, God commissions Isaiah to be a prophet. And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. And God says, all right, I'm going to send you. And nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> they're not actually going to listen to a thing you say. They're going to hear you, but they won't believe you. Well, God, God sends the angels. The angels send the women to go and tell the disciples, and the disciples don't believe them. And I think the disbelief on the part of the disciples is actually important here. Because 
They don't, again, they don't just hear the message of the angels and say, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus told us that was going to happen. Okay, we believe it. They thought it was an idle tale. They doubted. They disbelieved. And because they doubted, because they disbelieved, they wanted more proof. And Jesus gives them more proof. Later that night, Jesus appears to them while they're in a locked room. They locked the doors because they were afraid. And in this locked room, Jesus appears right in their midst. Later on, they're fishing and Jesus appears to them again. In fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And these men who had doubted, no longer doubted. These men who had disbelieved now believed. And they not only believed, they believed so firmly that they would stake everything on the truth that Jesus is living. They now knew the words of Jesus are true. He had authenticated his message. Everything he said could be trusted. Because if, if he could say, I'm going to be turned over, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise, and then he does it, well, then we can believe any promise he tells us concerning ourselves as well. He is the living one. He's the one who laid down his life for you on the cross, paying for your sins and mine, and he will never die again. And this Jesus who called his shot, who told his disciples he was going to die and rise again, who authenticated that teaching by doing exactly what he promised, has made promises to us. What has he said to us? I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he die. Well, what if I die by beheading? What if my body is completely destroyed to the point that there's nothing left for anybody even to put in the grave? Is it possible for God to raise me from the dead at that point? Well, if that's what happens, the crucified and risen Jesus, the living one, will raise you up body and soul in a perfect glorified body to live with him in his kingdom forever. Because when you trust in Jesus, you trust in the one who has authority and power over everything, including death. And when you trust in him, resurrection life is absolutely in the future. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And on the third day, be raised. That's what Jesus said. And that's what Jesus did. And because he has done it, those who trust in him, they too will be raised. You too will be raised from death to life everlasting. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue with the prayers of the church.